0: Buenos dias. Today is May 5th, Hoyas Cinco de Mayo. It's good to have you with us. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide Daily Podcast, and my name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, United States of America. We are making progress reading through the Bible in one year's time, and today we cross the threshold from the book of Judges to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Some of you may know that I wrote a musical theater piece based on this remarkable account of a Gentile woman, Ruth, who is rescued by a kinsman redeemer, Boaz, and becomes the ancestor of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We perform this miracle in Israel as well as in the United States, and it resonates with people everywhere as a redemptive love story and one that demonstrates the Lord's kindness to the outcast. We will also witness the Lord's kindness to another woman in the New Testament. Jesus will meet a Samaritan woman at the well, and we will become privy to a redemptive conversation in which her eyes are opened to perceive Jesus as the Messiah. But first, we must finish the book of Judges, which gives us the sad account of spiritual declension in Israel and yet the steadfastness of God's faithfulness to His covenant promises. The final chapter of the book of Judges, Judges chapter 21. Let's begin with verse 1. Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, No one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel, and sat there till evening before God, and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel? that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? And the next day the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, Which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin their brother and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives, for those who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives? And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah? And behold, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there, So the congregation sent twelve thousand of their bravest men there, and commanded them, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, also the women and the little ones. This is what you shall do, every male and every woman that has lain with a male you shall devote to destruction. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead four hundred young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Rimon, and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time. And they gave them the women whom they had saved alive from the women of Jabesh-Gilead. But there were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin, because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives, for those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin. And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the people of Israel had sworn, Cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, there is the yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and south of Labona. And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh, and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle, neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. And the people of Benjamin did so, and took their wives, according to their number, from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went, and returned to their inheritance, and rebuilt the towns, and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and they went out from there every man to his inheritance. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this is the end of the book of Judges. The last chapters of the book of Judges remind us of some of the worst aspects of the human nature and the unthinkable crimes against humanity that take place every day. Israel had broken its covenant relationship with God. No longer would they submit to their king. No longer would they heed their shepherd. This reflects the current state of humanity as stated by the prophet Isaiah. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every everyone to his own way. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 Not only do we turn aside from the government of God, but by our poor examples we turn others aside. The last words of the book of Judges are, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Judges chapter 21, verse 25 This is the fourth repetition of the phrase there was no king in israel we found it in chapter 17 verse 6 chapter 18 verse 1 chapter 19 verse 1 and here in chapter 21 verse 25. it is important to have this background information if we are to understand god's plan of redemption the human heart has been turned aside from its intended function of fully loving the lord our god and loving our neighbor as ourselves it cannot find its way back It cannot heal itself. You see the consequences of apostasy in the final dark chapters of the book of Judges. Self-seeking, self-justification, self-indulgence leading to constructing idols in our own image. Our self-manufactured gods are just larger versions of ourselves. We subscribe to our preferred therapeutic priesthoods, mediators, healers, and new-age gurus and practitioners, instead of coming to the tabernacle, which represents God's plan of salvation, centered in the person and work of His Son. Micah's idolatry is passed on to the tribe of Dan. The Danites follow their heart's desire for their preferred future. They slaughtered all the inhabitants and burned to the ground the town of Laish, whose dwellings and lifestyles they had once coveted. In chapter 18, verse 27, they set up a graven image there and hired a descendant of Moses as their priest, forsaking the worship of the one true God that was available at the tabernacle at Shiloh. Chapter 18 verse 31. The most abhorrent crimes of chapters 19 and 20 show the moral degeneracy of the people: fornication, prostitution, adultery, drunkenness, emotional, physical and sexual abuse, sloth, gluttony, prejudice, lack of hospitality, lust, rape, homosexuality callousness, murder, and dismemberment. The revenge taken in chapter 20 leads to war and genocide, the near extermination of the tribe of Benjamin. In chapter 21, the Israelites compound their sin with further slaughter of the people of Jabesh-Gilead and by encouraging the abduction of their virgins by the Benjamites. Against the dark background of what was occurring nationally during the period of Judges comes the bright light of a love story, a romance of redemption that took place in Bethlehem-Judah, or as they say Bethlehem-Judah, during this time. Now let's read the Book of Ruth. Chapter 1 In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem, in Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go. and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? at the beginning of barley harvest and this concludes our reading from the first chapter of the book of ruth in the old testament like the book of judges the book of ruth was written after the monarchy had been established in israel the book provides the details concerning the link between the dark period of the judges and the davidic dynasty in the genealogy of the messiah the prostitute rahab who hid the spies in Joshua chapter 2, marries Solomon and becomes the mother of Boaz, who features in the book of Ruth as the kinsman-redeemer for the household of Elimelech. He will marry Ruth the Moabitess. Their son, Obed, will become the father of Jesse, who will become the father of David, a man after God's heart, who is one day anointed as Israel's king. God makes a covenant with David, promising that one of his descendants would be the Messiah whose kingdom would last forever. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see how this fits into the genealogy of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the greater Boaz, our kinsman-redeemer. Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king, David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Matthew chapter 1, verses 5-6 through 6. Both the genealogy of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the genealogy of Joseph, her husband, are directly linked to David. It is generally concluded that the genealogy recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1-25, follows the line from David to Joseph, and the one in the Gospel of Luke records the genealogical line that leads from David to Mary, in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 to 38. While the book of Judges highlights the lawlessness of the age, the book of Ruth highlights God's mercy. We see mercy in the provisions of the law of God and mercy in the heart of Boaz. We see mercy in the way Boaz acts in compassion to fulfill the merciful provision in the law to redeem the lost inheritance of the household of Elimelech, Boaz's next of kin. He does this by taking the deceased daughter-in-law, Ruth, a Gentile, as a bride. The book of Ruth is more than history, it is a prophetic picture of the gospel. The book of Exodus records the story of God bringing the Jews out of their bondage in Egypt and into a covenant relationship with Himself. The book of Ruth records another Exodus, in which God brings a Gentile bride out from her bondage in Moab to be grafted into a covenant relationship with both the God and people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Holy Spirit employed the writer of the book of Ruth to record the history in such a way that we can get a preview of God's redeeming grace that is offered to us through a greater Boaz, a greater kinsman-redeemer, Jesus Christ. We see how He satisfies the requirements of the law and releases mercy to those born outside the covenant. The story opens with the record of a fall Elimelech, meaning My God is King in Hebrew, was an Ephrathite, literally meaning fruitful or fruit-bearing, living in Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem means house of bread and Judah means praise. He and his wife Naomi are tested. There is a famine in the land. There was no bread in the place named the house of bread there was little fruit in the place named the place of fruitfulness. The man named My God is King was subject to God as King in name only. Likewise, for those who walk by sight and not by faith, there is little praise in the place of praise. Instead of living in the light of their covenant relationship with God, Elimelech, meaning My God is King, moves from his first estate to Bethlehem, Judah, to Moab, where Chemosh is worshipped. Elimelech takes with him his wife Naomi, whose name means pleasant, and their two sons, Malon, literally sickness, and Kilion, meaning pining away. The emigrants are in Moab for ten years. The number ten is an expositional constant in the scripture, connoting judicial completion. The net result of their forsaking the covenant and the land of their inheritance is death. Elimelech, my goddess king, Malon, sickness, and Kilion, pining away, die in Moab. For the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Before Malon and Kilion die, they take Moabites for brides Ruth, whose name means friendship or association, and Orpah, whose name means neck, also translated, became stubborn. Neither couple produce an heir to claim the lost inheritance of Elimelech's household. Naomi, now a childless widow, refuses to answer to her former name, Naomi meaning pleasant, but insists on being called Mara, meaning bitter. While Naomi is in the far country of Moab, she receives good news from home, God has provided bread in the house of bread, Bethlehem, and fruit in the land of fruitfulness, Ephrata. Ruth chapter 1 verse 6. So Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem Judah with her two daughters-in-law. As she considers the difficulties her daughters-in-law might face as non-Jews in Judah, in Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 3, she advises them to stay in Moab where they can marry among their own people and raise their families there. Orpah, meaning stiff-necked, returns to Moab while Ruth, friendship or association, identifies with Naomi. Naomi at first seeks to discourage Ruth from following her, but Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for where you go I will go, and where you lodge I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you will die, I will die. And there I will be buried, thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go and identify with her people and her God by faith, she said no more to her. When they returned to Bethlehem, Judah, all the city is stirred because of them. Ruth chapter one, verse nineteen. The townspeople were filled with questions: Is this Naomi? What happened to her? Where is her husband, and where are her sons? and who is this foreign woman with her? How will Naomi be fed? Where will they stay? What future will she have as a widow? What will happen to the lost inheritance of Elimelech? How are we to treat our sister and this foreigner who have nothing to live upon but the charity of others? We will read more tomorrow and see how God's provision in the law and the willing heart of Boaz will make a way when there was no way. What a great picture of the gospel we have, in the work of our gracious god our kinsman redeemer and now let's go to the new testament the gospel of john chapter 4 beginning with verse 4 the woman at the well john chapter 4 verse 4 and he had to pass through samaria so he came to a town of samaria called sychar near the field that jacob had given to his son joseph jacob's well was there so jesus wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He was called Christ. Lift up your eyes, and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true: One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor; others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, and let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we just read. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. The Greek verb emphasizes that it was a logical necessity that he travel through Samaria if he were to go to Galilee from Judea. Standing in the way of logical necessity were years of cultural prejudice. Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans due to the way that they had corrupted the Jewish faith. Therefore, they often chose to go out of their way to avoid interaction with the Samaritans. They sometimes chose to travel the coastal route by the Mediterranean or east of the Jordan through the region of Perea. But Jesus was not bound by cultural prejudice, as this account will further indicate. Why this animosity toward the Samaritans? When the nation split in two after the reign of Solomon, King Omri named the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel Samaria. He bought the hill Samaria from Shemer for 2 talents of silver, and he built on the hill and named the city which he built Samaria after the name of Shemer, the owner of the hill. 1 Kings chapter 16 verse 24. The name Samaria eventually referred to the region and sometimes the entire northern kingdom which had been taken captive by the Assyrians in 722 BC. In 2 Kings chapter 17 verses 1 through 6. The Assyrians led a large number of Jews away to a region that is today northern Iraq. A remnant was left behind, and non-Jews were transported to Samaria. These foreigners mixed with the Jews and, through intermarriage, formed a mixed race. When the Jews returned from captivity, there were great tensions between them and the Samaritans that continued to the time of Christ, Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 to 24, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. The Samaritans withdrew from the worship of Yahweh and the celebration of the festivals in Jerusalem, and made their center of worship at Mount Gerizim. They built a temple there, which had been destroyed before the time of Jesus. By taking the more direct route to Galilee than the popular xenophobic route, Jesus was indicating that he was going out of his way to reach the lost and despised. In the previous chapter, he was speaking with the up-and-out, the highly esteemed religious leader Nicodemus. In this chapter, he meets the down-and-out, a woman of disrepute who is fetching water at the well at noonday in a region of people despised by the Jews. We see how human Jesus is as John describes him as being tired. Like his disciples, He must have been hungry as well as thirsty, but what sustained him more than physical food was the privilege of harvesting souls by preaching the gospel. Jesus takes the initiative. He cares enough to say something to this woman. He starts with a conversation about felt needs, and then will turn the discussion to real needs. He announces the gospel promise, the gift that God has for her, He arouses her curiosity by saying, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who it is that is saying to you, give me to drink, and he would have given you living water. What a gospel preview. Jesus preached himself. He announces that he is the source of all that satisfies. In the midst of her dissatisfactions and disappointments, Jesus' offer sounds attractive. She requests that Jesus give her this water. Not only does she welcome the thought of never thirsting again, but she despises having to go to the well day after day in shame, at a time when she would not be noticed while everyone else was in their homes for their midday meal. Jesus now deals with her personal life. Go call your husband to come here. When she confesses that she has no husband, Jesus prophetically points out that she has had five husbands, and the man she is living with, presently, is not her husband. As often happens when the conviction of sin begins to settle in, the woman changes the subject. She raises the subject of religion. Our guilt often causes us to find some self-justification through religious works or associations. Here she mentions her identification with the religion of the Samaritans. Jesus speaks with authority. You worship what you do not know. Jesus then vindicates that the true revelation of God's promise of salvation has been given to the Jews. The woman then reveals that she knows and believes in the promise of the Messiah. Then Jesus announces that He is the Messiah. What a masterful conversation and disclosure! The disciples come back from lunch and are disturbed to find Jesus talking with this Samaritan woman. In the meanwhile, The woman leaves her water jar and runs back to the village to let them know that Jesus is a man who told her everything she ever did. She obviously felt that she was not condemned by Him. Jesus explains that His nourishment comes from doing the will of God. He tells us to wake up and look around. There are many people just like this woman who are waiting to receive the good news of who Jesus is and His remedy for our problem of sins and His offer of the gift of eternal life. The woman's enthusiastic testimony drew people to come and meet Jesus themselves. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Now let's read from the book of Psalms. We're going to be reading for the next three days Psalm 105, and today... The first 15 verses will be read by Peter Healy.
1: Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him, sing praises to Him, tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength, seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he's uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen one, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, WHICH HE CONFIRMED TO JACOB AS A STATUTE, TO ISRAEL AS AN EVERLASTING COVENANT, SAYING, TO YOU I WILL GIVE THE LAND OF CANA AS A PORTION FOR AN INHERITANCE. WHEN they WERE FEW IN NUMBER OF LITTLE ACCOUNT AND SOJOURNERS IN IT, WANDERING FROM NATION TO NATION, FROM ONE KINGDOM TO ANOTHER PEOPLE, HE ALLOWED NO ONE TO OPPRESS THEM, HE REBUKED KINGS ON THEIR ACCOUNT saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Thank you, Peter. What a wonderful psalm. Notice the verbs for worship
0: used in the first six verses. Give thanks. Proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know. Sing to him. Sing to others about him. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Exult in his name. Rejoice. Search for the Lord. Seek him out. Remember His works, His miracles, His rulings, and His promises. Verses 7-8 to declare the integrity of God's character. He stands by His covenant commitment to His people. In spite of their wanderings, He protected them and warned other nations not to oppress them. Now let's read today's proverb, reminding us of the power of the tongue to do good or evil. A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies... Is deceitful. This proverb reminds us that we must always speak the truth. Other people's lives count on it. Now let's pray. We come before you with praise and thanksgiving, O God. Like the psalmist and the woman at the well, we want to tell everyone about your great deeds. We praise you for your mercy shown to us through our kinsman redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for restoring our lost inheritance and establishing your throne in our hearts, so that we can truly say, My God is my King. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you so much for being with us this time of sharing in the Word of God. I trust that you have been encouraged and that you will be joining with us tomorrow as we continue in the great romance of redemption as featured in the book of Ruth and the Gospel of John and that we'll be praising him with the Psalms and we'll be growing in wisdom through the Proverbs. If you would like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, you can visit us at our website at www.newlife.org. You can also write us at podcast at newlife.org. And we encourage you to invite others to subscribe to this one-year Bible tour, which they can access wherever they get their podcasts iHeartRadio, Amazon, Apple, Google, or Podbeam. It's there free for the taking. So until tomorrow, as my Texan friends in Israel would say, Shalom, y'all.